Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest was interviewed for us back in 2020 by the inimitable Samuel Elliott. So I'm so delighted to have Ashley Kalegian bunt back on the show today. Ashley is a writer, speaker, podcaster. She's the author of two previous books, How to Be Australian, which I reviewed in 2021, uh, and uh, a thriller novella and essays titled My Name is Revenge, and now Dark Mode, um, a, a full-on, full-length thriller, <laughs> which she's here to talk about today. Ashley, welcome. It's a delight to have you on the show again. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and I'd delight to speak to you. Yeah. So can I ask you to open the show by reading terrifying us and reading us a little bit from dark mode sure yes i'll read right from the opening sunday january 15th 2017 a spider web caught at reagan's face as she turned the corner its invisible strands trailing across her cheeks busy rubbing the web from her eyes she got closer than she otherwise might have close enough for the early morning sun to catch the wet inner cavity of the naked, pale-skinned torso on the concrete. A mannequin. It had to be. Human bodies didn't come apart like that. She edged forward. Gipps Lane was tidy, all bitumen and graffitied concrete, brick walls, and two commercial dumpsters. Nothing alive, not a dandelion or a tuft of moss. Her Tynex read 5.57 a.m. The sun had barely cracked the horizon and already January's mid-summer heat was clinging to her skin. The body lay in a patch of light, its two severed pieces a half meter apart, off-center. A mannequin wouldn't have a wet body cavity and now that Reagan was closer, she could see flies crawling over the flesh. A metallic whiff of organ meat caught in her nostrils, jarring loose a memory of a night her mother had cooked liver for dinner. It's a body. Reagan stood frozen, the knuckles of both hands pressing into her lips. Above, masked lap wings broke the hush, their sharp cree, 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 like an alarm. There was no blood, none on the concrete, none on the body. And for someone to die like that, there should have been a lot of blood. So right in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And you I know, know what kind of book it is. Yeah, absolutely. No, no question. And I, you know, I can remember reading that going. <laughs> the airplane. <laughs> you got your hands to your face exactly like the I character. Know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you know, maybe it's because I don't often read thrillers. Um, but I, I, you know, as I said to you yesterday, I found this to be such a scary book. Scary in so many different ways. You know, psychologically, um, because of how I guess how pervasive the you know the evil in the book is, um, how real, <laughs> but also just you know. Um, it, you know, in, in some, there's a little that's gruesome in it, but not too much. Mostly it's mm. about kind of, you know, that sense of, of, of fear that your protagonist, you know, Regan has um, throughout the book uh, that kind of builds slowly so that, it, you know, it almost is a pervasive fear in the in the reader as well. You begin to, well, and, you know, I know a lot of people have said this, you begin to start thinking, hmm, <laughs> should I be walking down this dark street that I'm walking down right now? So um, did you scare yourself writing it? <laughs> 
I scared myself researching it. Um, mm. Definitely. And not in the ways that you might think, because I, I know the statistics around violent crime and we're living in the safest period of human history ever. You are less likely to be killed uh, by violence today than at any other point in human history. And you're four times more likely to know someone who commits suicide than who uh, is murdered. So I don't actually worry about being the victim of, of violent crime. But what I do worry about and what did scare me in my research is the misogynistic attitudes that are proliferating on the internet and allowing men to connect and uh, promote ideologies that are spreading into our media and our and our politics and that I found really really scary and that is one of the things that I really wanted to make readers more aware of through this story. Absolutely and I, I think that to my mind that is there's so many different levels, I guess, of violence in the book, um, not just the most overt one, which is, you know, the, the the violence you're talking about that maybe you were a little bit less scared of, that we are maybe less likely to experience because we know, we know even more than, than Reagan knows what's happening behind the scenes and, and all of the levels of ways in which she is targeted. Yes, and that's what I wanted to kind of bring home to the reader is that really, because we see that kind of, you know, like that opening scene with the woman who's been murdered. Now I didn't just put that in there to be graphic and salacious, like that That murder is just based on a real murder that happened in Los Angeles in 1947 to a woman named Elizabeth Short, who's commonly referred to by her nickname, the Black Dahlia. And I wanted to connect a theory around why the Black Dahlia was murdered to the misogyny that's happening online today. And I wanted to basically get readers thinking about how uh, this misogynistic attitude fuels this violence against women and how it's, um, how it's being spread. And one of the things I don't get into in this book, but that I've been speaking about and that I think I will get into in future books is that these groups, uh, you know, online, these misogynistic groups are targeting teenage boys and they're doing that in places like YouTube and Instagram, like very innocuous places, but they're basically trying to um, convert them to their worldview. And it's so, it's so frightening. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I think it says something really. And, and again, this is this is why your book is so powerful, because it really says something about us as a society, you know, that we, you know, we sort of other and talk about recruitment or grooming or, or all of the things that happen, you know, in terms of terrorism, but we don't talk about so much this notion of, of you know, how this kind of grooming of teenage boys and, and, and really tapping into, um, I guess this kind of innate insecurity that all teenagers have, right? And we know there's lots of tapping into the innate insecurities that female teens have, um, you know, in terms of selling products, in terms of body shaming, in terms of whole, there's a whole range of things that are profitable, um, it, it, you know, with teenage girls and, and then how teenage boys are really, um, are, are used in this way. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody, I imagine somewhere is is making money off this. Oh yeah, that's an excellent that's an excellent point. Absolutely, yeah, 
Yeah. So did you have to go into the dark web to, to do this? Did you actually read these kinds of transcripts or did you just go, no, no I can't do that. I'm just going to use my <laughs> imagination because it feels very real. Well, I, in terms of the, uh, the transcripts from, uh, for example, these misogynistic groups, uh, I drew all of that from secondary research. So in a way, I'm very lucky because I've never been targeted by these groups mm-hmm. uh, and other other women have been and they've been brave enough to not only write about their experience, but actually go in, uh, you know, undercover and uh, under the guise of a, of, a, of a male persona and spend time in these groups and have then produced brilliant books where they where they delve into what these worlds are like. And so I drew on their on their work. But I did learn how to use the dark web. Like from a technical standpoint, I learned how to use the dark web uh, just because I'm really fascinated by the dark web. And, and the book has a has a dark web plot. And I, as I wanted to be able to talk about, about using the dark web. And what's funny about the dark web is that, you know, it's was created by U.S. Naval Intelligence uh, as a way of sharing highly classified information. And they made it publicly available in order to basically obscure their own highly classified information. So if you flood it with other people's information, much harder to find theirs. Ah, and yes. so so the, the, even just that's interesting. But then because the dark web is so encrypted, right? Like this is its benefit is that you're supposed to have anonymity and it's, it's very encrypted, but that makes it very slow. Like in terms of what we're used to in terms of our internet, it's like going back in time 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it's black screen, white font, no graphics if there are graphics they're loading one line at a time <laughs> like it's like this weird form of time travel on the internet yeah. uh but the dark web there's no dark google so you can't just go and search most of the sites there aren't indexed so you kind of have to know how to navigate it because if you go on there and just start clicking around as you would on the surface web you can end up downloading you know terrible viruses and all, and all kinds of things so you have to be you have to be more technically capable to use the dark web. And I think that's why the average person probably hasn't ventured onto it. At that and the fact that they probably don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting space just to, just to check out because, uh, you know, there was this one website I found where you could, one of the things you could add to cart was to destroy someone's life for (laughs) $1,700. But the more you clicked around this website, you're, like it was very apparent that you could pay seventeen hundred dollars of Bitcoin and just get absolutely nothing. The whole website was just a scam, and that's why it was so like easily accessible. Um, or something like that that was legitimate would just not be like the first thing that pops up on the dark web. But I do want to say about the dark web that people in like there's a lot on the dark web that is legitimate. Like BBC.com has a mirror site there. You can access Facebook through the dark web. You can access ProPublica, and that's because for people in countries where the internet is censored. Uh, it is a source of free information. It was one of the very few places where uh, people, like activists can go to access outside information, to meet each other, to discuss issues. So the dark web isn't all bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, brilliant. And, and you know, again, I, I really felt that kind of hacking into um, component of the book, almost like a subplot, really, this, this hacking into um, these collective voices. Um, was really like it was really rich and terrifying but also rich <laughs> in terms of the way you kind of you you set that up um, even visually as, as you talked about you know this kind of DOS type um, way of showing it which is you know it, it really also it, it almost kind of shows it almost creates a character which is the dark web as the character yes. right oh I love um, that yeah love that which plays off against 
uh, Reagan, who's like really, um, you know, she is uh, is almost like the you know the, the flesh in and the real person in this book. Um, her anxiety levels, you know, really are very well communicated, and and those are the ones I think your average reader will definitely take on board and feel along with her as she you know tries to navigate her way, and in in many ways, you know, is is um, is a hero in the end uh, to an extent. So it's she's got an arc, and it's a it's a you know it's a pretty powerful arc as well. To, to oh, just talk to me a little that. bit about about her and where she came from, and you know how you developed her as a character. Did did you begin with her? Yeah, I began with her. She was a real struggle. Uh, whereas, like, so she has a best friend, Nimli Chase, who's a crime reporter and true crime author, and uh, a mom to two young kids. And Min like kind of strolled onto the page and from the first draft was very much herself. Like first draft, last draft, Min did, did not change. Reagan uh, is, a, is a young woman living in Sydney. She uh, relates more to plants than she does to people because she's had issues with people in the past that have given her a lot of, a lot of trust issues. And so she finds plants so easy because you give them water and some sunlight and some nutrients and then they'll, they'll grow and they'll blossom. And so she can, she feels this connection to plants. And so because of that, she has a boutique a garden center where she grows like really strange and interesting plants. And while she's very good with, with the actual plants, she's not very good with the aspects of business. So unfortunately her business is not doing so well, but also because of these problems she had in the past, she ended up having to go to the police as a young woman and trying to get help. And basically what the police said to her was, uh, well, if you don't want these kinds of things to happen, you'll need to stay off the internet. And I know when I put that in an early draft and sent it to my writers group, one of the guys sort of underlined that bit and said, oh, you know, the police wouldn't say that to someone. Like, you need to be realistic. Like, the police aren't going to say that to somebody. And I, I was a bit surprised that he said that because... I've listened to so many true crime cases where that's exactly what the police say to people. That has been said, I mean, to lots of people who've had problems online, but predominantly women. And I think it is starting to change today. There's more awareness of, of the kinds of crimes that are taking place online, harassment and abuse. But the police still aren't equipped to necessarily deal with them. Mm -hmm. So when Reagan got this advice, you'll just have to stay off the internet, she took that very seriously she decided okay well there's there's nothing else I can do I'm quite powerless here and so when the book opens many years later she's doesn't have a smartphone you know it's 2017 she doesn't have a smartphone uh her business has like one static web page she doesn't have any social media she has tried as hard as possible to stay off the internet but she's being pushed from multiple angles her friends are saying like well we can't share pictures with you because you don't have you don't have a smartphone and you're not on facebook and her bank is pushing her to use their banking app so i i wanted to show how if we as individuals try to resist this push to digitize every aspect of our lives it becomes incredibly incredibly difficult mm, yeah wonderful and and um i can't you know, go through this interview without mentioning the voodoo lily because it's such a it's such a great space. And I know you've been told this before. Um, it really, um, almost to my mind, and you know, this is just me. I always love to see these correspondences, but it almost seems like the the living, non-written female version of the dark web. <laughs> 
know, it's like a, oh, it's I like a that. space that she's created where there are all conversations going on, but they are plant conversations. You know, there's Venus fly traps and there's all sorts of different uh, interactions happening. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a, a different, very different kind of non-human space, organic, if you like. I love that. Yes. So Voodoo Lily Garden Center is is her is her business, and she has a little greenhouse. And and yeah, she. I wanted. I did want to have that contrast, you know, with the very very digital uh, uh, internet component. And then Reagan sees the world in terms of plants, and she thinks about things in terms of things that she knows about plants. So I wanted to counter counter. Or act or juxtapose those two things. So I love that you picked up on that in that way. Yeah, I, I have in my head that it's in Glebe. I don't know why, but that's where I put it. Um, I think I've seen a place like it in Glebe or something like that. It's in Annandale. It's in Annandale. Annandale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, Good. Definitely. Good. I was it's close. Near West. Yes. Yeah, yes. Like, am I going crazy? Yes. Like, and she I gets she like, gets croissants. Yeah. Her favorite cafe is in Glebe. Okay, great. Perfect. <laughs> her favorite cafe Glebe. is in Glebe, and she gets croissants and coffee from there one day. Yeah, yes, now I can't yes. walk down the streets of Annandale without thinking, where's the voodoo lily? I want to go get it. You know, I want to go get a Dracula simian orchard. <laughs> and those are dark flowers, right? The black, and, and and the whole flower idea is almost like a, a sub-theme. You've, you've got the black dahlia and you've got the, you know, the the simian orchard, who, which is, you know, amazing, an amazing plant, really. Um, but also kind of a little bit kind of, um, you know, what's the word? Kind of uh, gothic. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I got really into researching the, the sort of the dark side of plants. And plants are just like there's plants that are so much darker uh in their nature than I than I ever realized. And also plants that are just incredibly peculiar. Like there's the western underground orchid that grows. Reagan talks about this in the book. It grows entirely underground. So um people didn't discover it for, for many, many, many years because it's only occasionally they'll sort of, their their blossoms will sort of peek through the surface of the soil. And farmers in, in Western Australia discovered it at that point. But this whole plant's whole life cycle is, is underground. Mm. Yeah, it's just amazing. And, and really, you know, I have to say that Voodoo Lily really elevates this book. I mean, it's a great book anyway, um, but it, it really elevates the book in terms of being such a cool and and funky and yet also, you know, very literary in the way it, again, does these mirroring things, space uh, for the action to take place. Uh, every time they walk in it, you can, you know, it's such a sensual space. You can really smell the dankness and the, the plants and the, you know, it's very atmospheric. So, um, yeah, love it. Love it. Wow. So Thank the reception, the reception that I've seen online in airports everywhere um, strikes me yes. as pretty enthusiastic. Um, does this feel like a turning point for you? Like is something I, I know your previous books have done pretty well, but really, does something seem like it's it's uh, almost shifted? Yeah, it really has. And I've been sort of reflecting on that um, over the past few weeks because Dark Mode hit. Uh, it was number one Australian fiction title for three weeks, which is just just amazing that it that it reached that point. And um, I and the and the reception from readers has been incredible. Like it's been so wonderful hearing from readers. I wrote this book for a very particular readership. I wrote it for people who love psychological thrillers and people who love the sort of book that 
hooks them right from the opening and then pulls them through of its own volition. And I, and I modeled it on some of my favorite authors whose books do that, like Candace Fox's Crimson Lake, J.P. Pomeroy's In the Clearing, Tana French's um, The Witch Elm. And so I, to, to have the book be connecting with those readers and hearing from them, you know, one person let me know that she stayed up till 5 a.m. to finish it. <laughs> I was just like, that's amazing. So it does feel like, it does feel like a turning point. But of course, my brain then goes, oh, okay, so now I have to make the next book. Like, the next book has to live up to this now. And that is sort of just one of those things where it's like, like the other side of the coin. It's like, this is a wonderful and amazing. But I, I, I have been working on the next book and I have a full draft of it. And I was like, oh, okay, I think this is going pretty well. And then all of the, all of the reception for Dark Ones started happening. And I thought, oh no, no, this next book is nowhere near good enough. Like I have to re-envision the whole thing. Like, how am I going to do this? So that's, that's the other side of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But, you know, look, I think the other, the other thing is that you, you know, you've almost created uh, oh, outside of this book, really, but then the books come into it, this community, which is, you know, is brilliant. I, you know, for example, I love the little segments you did um, around Dark Mode on Ashley and James Stay at Home. Um, you know, this, these these little tidbits, but also, you know, the way, I guess, your book and then other books and other authors that you have on the show are almost in conversation in that space. It, it really does become a kind of community of people supporting one another in, in the broadest way. Um is it tempting to just ask questions when you're talking about your own book? Do you, how do you feel sitting on both sides of the, of the chair? Do they feel connected or like different parts of your brain? Uh, yeah, it feels like part of one big conversation, I think, which is, which is this passion for books and reading and ideas and, and the shaping of the shaping of a narrative, because I feel like, so the podcast I do with James Mackenzie Watson, who's the author of Denizen, mm -hmm. I feel like we are very interested in, in the craft of writing and shaping our work to, to be its, its best possible version of itself. So when I'm talking to other authors, I want to understand how they approach craft and I want to understand how they approach ideas. And I am always feeding that back into my own understanding of my own process and structure and craft. And, and I teach as well. So it's sort of all parts of all parts of my career fuel all other parts of it. So there's the writing and the teaching and the interviewing. And they're they're all so interconnected that it would be impossible to to separate them, I think. They're like tangled, they're like the tangled roots of, of multiple plants that have been potted together. I think you're going to have to use plant metaphors from now on. In fact, uh, let me, <laughs> I, I really, voodoo lily really is a, a, a brilliant invention. So I have to say, you know, I, is the next book related to dark mode or is that, is that a highly kept secret? No, it's not a highly kept secret. Uh, the next book, so I'm planning to write psychological thrillers from here on out. Like oh, okay, you mentioned right, at right, the start. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned at the start, you know, I, my previous book was a memoir about moving from Canada to Australia. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping to write psychological thrillers and just I want to just have a, just a whole shelf in the bookshop of just psychological thrillers. And so the next one is drawing on the same themes as Dark Mode. It's sort of in that sense, it's a continuation of, of that exploration of the dark web and, and, and how 
misogyny circulates through our society. Uh, it's not a sequel. It's set in a minus 30 degree winter in Winnipeg, Canada, which is the city I'm from in Canada. Uh, and um, so it's it's quite different in that regard. But you, there are, for people who have read Dark Mode, there are allusions to that story and there are a couple little characters that do come back. So you'll get to find out a little bit more about what happens after Dark Mode ends. Oh, wonderful. So cure for homesickness to set it in Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually the opposite. Is that I was so glad to leave Winnipeg. I was so glad to leave Winnipeg. And but I did think it was a very interesting setting for a book because it's a sort of sort of like Fargo. It's this like weird, isolated town where strange things can happen and nobody ever hears about them. And it goes to minus 30 in the winter. And researching it like the city, because my main character is a Winnipeg City tour guide. So I'm using the city as a character in the same way I use plants as a character in dark mode. And through this research, I'm actually helping a fondness for Winnipeg. And I'm like, oh, wow, like I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know Winnipeg was the home of the Harlequin Romance Empire, but that's oh, where it started. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. So yeah. that's, that's interesting, almost like researching the dark web, but your city yes. <laughs> that you grew up in. Yeah, ex yeah exactly. All those parts exactly. that you never knew that were lurking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So, I, you know, I have to ask this question. Um, what are you reading now? <laughs> oh, I love it. So this is a, on our on our, on our our podcast, it's yes. actually stay at home. Yes. This is how and, we and, always and I have end to, it. Let, let me also just give a little plug to, uh, to Ashley and James Stay at Home because it is such a great show. I, I just uh, look forward to the episodes. They're just amazing. So uh, I'll, I will link to it in the show notes. But yes, um, you always end with, what are you reading now? So I have to ask you. That's incredibly kind of you. Thank you. And um, uh, we just had, uh, so the podcast is about writing creativity and health because both James and I live with chronic health issues and we just had a um a psychologist on talking about creative anxiety Sanchana Venkatesh and she gives these tips for managing creative anxiety it's just if you're a writer or any type of creative it's just such a useful episode but um right now I've just started I picked this up we were we were just at Newcastle Writers Festival I picked this up from the festival bookshop it's Maduka the River Serpent by Julie Jansen uh who's a First Nations author a Derg woman and uh, the main character, Auntie June, is the proud owner of a TAFE Certificate 3 in Investigative Services, which is just, I mean, automatically, I'm just like, this is going to be amazing. So I've just, just started reading that. I'm really keen on it. And on our podcast, we always turn around and ask each other what we're reading. So Magdalena, what are you reading right now? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I am actually um, knee deep in uh, mm -hmm. the book binder of Jericho. Um, also, uh, mm -hmm. a you know that is um, Pip Williams' uh, a book, and uh, it is kind of a follow-on to um, the book that she she previously wrote, uh, also set at Oxford, um, which where, where I went to uni to do postgrad. So oh, I know wow. those streets really really well. So a lot of um, nostalgia for that. So that was the Dictionary of Lost Words, and um, nice. and this one is it's not um, it's not the same story, but it's almost analogous. So it's set in a similar time period, which is through war. World War One, um, and then reading it or reading that book um, after having watched All Quiet on the Western Front, um, which got me sobbing my head off. I literally was so a sobbing mess 
not that we didn't know that it was a bad war, but to see it in such visceral detail. And, you know, I know there was a film a long time ago, but I, I'd never seen it. It was kind of before my time. Yeah. So, God. Um, and then to, to read this book set through World War One, it's just really, um, yeah, it really hits home and it's beautiful. So, yeah, I can't recommend it. Yeah. Enough. Pip, Pip is amazing, too. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I figured when th that book just came out and I figured that's going to be the one to knock Dark Mode off the number one Australian fiction spot. Oh, yeah, because sorry. Very different there's, though. There's a... not, not in competition. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, I just know it's going to be, it's going to be a huge for Pip um, yeah. as yeah, the Dictionary of Lost be. Words was. Yeah, 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 that's right. So um, that's wonderful. Uh, look, I, I think we're getting close to the end of our time. So I'll end there unless, um, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about or a little promo or anything you want to shout out before um, we finish off? Oh, just that I love attending book clubs. So if you have a book club and you'd like me to zoom in to your book club to have a chat about the book, the thing about this book is there's so there's so much that I can't talk about in these kind of interviews because they're spoilers. Exactly. But when I when I get to talk to people who've read it and we don't have to worry about spoilers and we can talk about the ending, we can talk about all the different layers. There's there's so many things I I, I get excited to share with readers, like so many different insights and why I made certain decisions and why certain characters uh, made certain choices. And so I had that experience uh, last week for the first time. We got to talk about the ending and it was so much fun. So if you have a book club, please get in touch with me on my website. There's also um, book club questions. You can download the book club pack, has uh, some background information on the book as well. So you're welcome, that's completely free. So please grab that from my website um, and you can contact me there or on social media if you'd like me to, to zoom into your book club or if you're in Sydney and, you, and we can work out an in-person visit, I would love to do that as well. So uh, yeah, thank you for thank you for inviting me to share that, Magdalena, because I I'm really excited to connect with readers. That's a brilliant offer, and uh, and I urge you to take it up. Um, what I'll do is I will link to your website. I'll link to the book club notes. Um, I'll link to uh, James and Ashley's Stay at Home podcast. Um, so there'll be some resources on on the show notes as well, so that you can you can find all that stuff really easily. And do take Ashley up on that offer because uh, there's nothing like really um, hearing from the author. I'm sure Ashley will read to you, and then you can have a juicy conversation <laughs> about all the things I didn't dare ask um, because they are in fact spoilers. But uh, I. I will also say and finish by saying that I stayed up um, late. And as I told you yesterday, I skipped an event to finish this book because I had to get oh, to the yes. event. Very, very engaging. So well done. Congratulations. Thank I just you so think much. that's the highest compliment you could possibly give an author. So <laughs> thank you so much. This has been such a delight talking about the book. And uh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it enough to skip an event. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. So you be warned if you uh, when you start reading Dark Mode, um, you know, just clear your calendar. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much, Ashley. Oh, cheers. Oh, yeah, I, oh, I haven't stopped recording.